Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. Cloudy skies. Welcome to this edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, today's entire program addresses food insecurity amid the pandemic and how organizations are working to provide greater assistance right here in the Atlanta region. Because seniors, they're not only typically in need, many of them are living off of SSI. They have a very limited income. And so even when they do get to the grocery stores, the amount of food that they're able to buy and what they're typically purchasing is very minimal. Plus, how to help Georgia's growers and farmers. That's coming up in just a moment. But first, as always, the latest information as it relates to the coronavirus here in Georgia. As of noontime today, there are 26,033 confirmed cases in the state. The number of deaths statewide is reported to be 1,107. Georgia has now surpassed 5,000 hospitalized. That number is 5,110. And we should note 1,163 are reportedly in ICU. That's all according to the Georgia Department of Public Health, again, as of noontime today. Well, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp's stay-at-home order is scheduled to expire tonight, just before midnight. That's the governor's executive order that requires all Georgians to stay home except for essential services. Governor Kemp's shelter-in-place order for the elderly and, quote, medically fragile is set to expire on May 13th unless he extends that order. And as of this broadcast, Governor Kemp is expected to make an announcement today. Here's a question. What will this mean for Georgia's largest transit system? Well, this week, the transit advocacy group MARTA Army is partnering with another organization to provide meals for MARTA transit operators. We'll find out more about the partnership as Audrey Parker and Saba Long, members of the MARTA Army Board, join me. Thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Great to be here, Rose. Let's begin here. For our listeners not familiar with MARTA Army, how long have y'all been around and uh, pretty much what's the mission of the organization? So we started about four or five years ago at Transportation Camp. At the time, I was actually still at MARTA, and I was with Lyle Harris, who was the chief communications officer at the time. And we were trying to figure out how to make MARTA cool and how to bring in new energy and new perspectives externally um, to help push the agency from the outside in. And so we came up with MARTA Army. Um, Our co-founder includes uh, Bakari Heights, Simon Barabi, who has done a lot of media stuff around the MARTA Army. And we just went, like, it just immediately started coming up with operations. Uh, The most, uh, the one people probably most know is Operation Timely Trip. So if you've ever been at a bus stop, you may have noticed that there's this white sheet of paper that has the time of the, the schedule of the bus, where it's going. That's one of the things that we've done. 
everything is entirely volunteer driven and we're all just passionate about making transit cool. So you're all a nonprofit group, but you're separate. You're not an entity of MARTA. That's correct. We're, we're a nonprofit group. So let's talk about this partnership because you have this partnership with World Central Kitchen and Audrey, I'll let you take this one. How did all this come about? Well, so to step back to how we even got the idea for this operation, um, I guess at the beginning of the, the shelter in place order, it became pretty clear that we needed to keep in contact with each other to keep sane. So for a few weeks, we've just been throwing ideas back and forth about what we could do to really, you know, be supportive. It's a hard time for transit. It's a hard time for everybody, but transit operators in particular are, you know, on the front line, they're providing this essential service, getting people, getting other essential workers to where they need to go. Um, so I think where the idea, I, you know, I was, um, I was out for one of my walks and noticed, you know, restaurants shuttered. And then at the same time, one of the buses that I usually ride drove by and I just, it, you know, it kind of clicked. You're like, well, could we, could we connect restaurants that are closed down or struggling to, you know, bring in money, um, with transit operators and, and try to support both of these at the same time. So we thought, you know, we'd be running a big fundraising operation and, and trying to piecemeal this together. And then Saba had the brilliant um, idea to, you know, reach out to World Central Kitchen. We got a phone call with them. Um, and this project aligns really well with their operations as well. They um, are nationwide and working with chef-owned restaurants to provide meals to essential workers across the country. Um, and that's how it happened. Didn't have to do much convincing to World Central Kitchen? It was incredible. We had one phone call with them. Um, and, you know, their uh, Atlanta liaison, um, Akeem, Akeem um, said, you know, this sounds great. I'll bring it to leadership. And he came back to us within a week. And said, "All right, we're doing uh, Saturday afternoon. We got a call. You're, we're providing 300 meals a day, Monday through Friday. Go." <laughs> so, Saba, how will this work? And are you providing meals for just the transit operators for everyone? How will this work? So, Monday through Friday, a restaurant, a Sweet Auburn Seafood, is going to cook 300 meals each day. We are focusing on furloughed employees, so there are about 200 or so furloughed paratransit workers. And we are prioritizing those individuals and their families. So any day of the week, a furlough transit worker can come for that week to a location. There's a different location for each day. Mm -hmm. They can pick up up to five meals. So those would be five meals for that worker or their family for the week. Then they can come back next week and pick up another five meals. And any meals that are left over... We are um, providing those meals to the station agents, the cleaning staff, and the bus operators throughout the system. So you all are a volunteer organization. I imagine you might need volunteers to help with these 300 meals a day. You know, we absolutely do. We need, um, there's two main roles. We need people to help with pickup and people to help with delivery. Um, we've developed uh ways that this can be done in a very you know socially distant contactless method um and you know it's kind of funny i i rely on transit i don't have a car 
right now I really need a friend with a suburban. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if you have a if you have a suburban and you're like, you know, you pull up, load up, drive it to the location, and it will be unloaded and you can be on your way. We need um, we really need some volunteers, and you can sign up to volunteer on our website. There's a link from martaarmy.org to Operation Feed an Operator. And obviously, some may be concerned about how you all are ensuring safety measures. Uh, what are you all doing on that front? So everyone is required to wear a mask, um, and we are also wearing gloves uh, to make it as contactless as possible. Most of these folks are obviously driving to the location. So we'll put, we're putting the food in their back seat or in their truck and maintaining as much social distance as possible. And how long will y'all provide these meals? So we know for a sure, at least through May 13th, which I believe is the date that the governor's uh, health orders is in place. And then possibly through the end of the month. Well, Governor Kemp, it is expected that, that some of these restrictions will be lifted in terms of businesses. The president is leaving it up to the governors of states to take the lead on that. If need be, will you all go beyond that May 13th date? So it's really up to funding. Um, World Central Kitchen, again, is providing these meals free of cost to Marta Army. Uh, they are paying the restaurant to do this, to provide this exceptional you know, program and service to these folks. So again, we think we have funding through the end of May, but we know for sure we will have it uh, through the end of the order. And one thing, Rose, we're, you know, monitoring and thinking through is how does this impact transit? Um, we know that, you know, a lot of folks, myself included, are not taking transit as much, and I'm someone who would take transit nearly every day. And so as long as we can provide this and show transit workers that the community supports them. Metro Atlanta is behind them and supports them and thanks them for what they're doing. You know, they're helping make sure that essential workers can get to their locations, can get to work and get to home. And for a lot of folks, this is their only option. I want to get your thoughts on the conversation about should there be some type of federal mandate in terms of if you want to call it hazardous pay or extra pay for these type of employees who have been out here and haven't even stopped working since this the state of emergency. I, I think Marta Army would feel that we need to remember our transit operators. And, you know, from what I've seen, they absolutely deserve this hazard pay. Um, you know, they're, they're out there. It, you know, there's, there's a few things. I mean, they also need more support in terms of the personal protective equipment that they're provided with. Mm -hmm. Right now, everybody's trying, but it's really piecemeal. Uh, you, most bus operators have masks in place, most cleaning or um, station agents and everybody cleaning has some amount of equipment. But, you know, many of the, the there's a handful of paratransit operators who haven't been furloughed because people still need to get to appointments like dialysis and, and essential medical appointments. Um, so paratransit operators are out there helping the disabilities community get to these appointments and they've been provided with very minimal personal protective equipment. They really need more of that. Um, so on top of all that, a hazard pay seems like the absolute minimum that we could do to support these really essential services that they're providing. And as we wrap up, what is your takeaway in terms of the future or the state of transit 
when we get through this pandemic? Do you see some changes that will come about because of this? Yeah, this is um, a tough time for transit agencies across the country, not just MARTA. I know if you think about it, bus service is down a significant amount, rail service is down 70% or so. We also know that MARTA relies on sales tax, right? And a lot of folks are not spending money either because they're unemployed or they're trying to save to make sure that they can survive, you know, what we all think will be a, a great recession or worse. So I think really now is the time for there to be bold leadership in funding transit. MARTA is one of the only agencies in the country that does not have dedicated funding from the state. I think that's it's time to reconsider that. There's conversations about raising the gas tax and using portions of the gas tax to fund transit. Again, this is really a time for bold leadership. We know that transit is essential. MARTA was there for snowpocalypse. MARTA was there, has been there for every major event. Um, a lot of these essential workers would not be able to get to work if not for MARTA. And so it's not a question of if MARTA is essential or not. It's a question of if we're gonna step up as a region and as a state and fully fund it. Saba Long and R.G. Parker, members of the MARTA Army Board, and we've been talking about the organization partnering with World Central Kitchen, providing meals for MARTA transit operators. Audrey, Saba, thank you so much for what you're doing for those employees, and thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. This is Closer Look from WABE here in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. It's not clear what will happen from this day on. Those federal guidelines on slowing the spread of COVID-19, well, they end today. The Trump administration will leave it up to governors to reopen state economies in phases or simply all at once. We've encouraged the more than 30 states that have taken steps to resume economic activity already. Uh, we've given them tremendous encouragement and support. We're backing them 100 percent. Meanwhile, what has been clear during this time is a lot of households were in need of food. Now, often you hear the term food insecure, and by definition, it means a lack of consistent access to enough food for an active, healthy life. So for those households already experiencing food insecurity, this pandemic only amplified their plight. And now many more are in need of food. On this program today, we'll hear from organizations working to provide greater assistance, plus how growers and farmers are taking a financial hit while some farmers markets are closed. I'm joined by Jasmine Crow, founder and CEO of Gooder. You'll learn more about them in just a moment. Sadrina Jalal, Senior Director of Programs and Partnerships at the Center for Civic Innovation and a former founding executive director and current board member 
at the Georgia Farmers Market Association. Also, Lauren Cox of Georgia Organics. She's the Organic Procurement Coordinator and Manager of the Farm to Restaurant Program. And Will Sellers, Executive Director of Wholesome Wave Georgia. Thank you all for joining me on this special edition of Closer Look. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Glad Thanks, to be guys. here. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Rose. Let's begin with this realization. As of right now, we know that 30 million people have filed for unemployment over the last six weeks. The figure's coming out just earlier today. So I want you all to open this conversation by reflecting on this. And Jasmine, I'll start with you. What does that say when you hear that number? 30 million people have filed for unemployment over the last six weeks. I mean, it's heartbreaking to hear that. Beyond that, Rose, we've been working really closely with the city of Atlanta and working with the Immigrant Affairs Office and thinking about all the people who have not been able to apply for unemployment um, that are vastly affected by what's happening right now. So that 30 million number can obviously be multiplied and we're seeing it. We are seeing people that have never experienced hunger ever in their life that are reaching out to us now for food resources. So I'm worried. Um, I think that number is a scary number to hear and it's a scary number to, to understand that there's not a lot of resolution um, in place right now. And so there are so many unknowns. I think as you open the show on what you said really stuck with me is every day is a moving part. You know, you never know what's coming next. And I think for so many of these families that have filed for unemployment, others that are you know, here in Georgia. Um, now there are several businesses that have opened up, which now calls these employees back to work. Some of them that are working in the restaurant industry, especially any tipped employee, um, is not going to see the same level of volume that they used to see. And so if they do go back to work, now they're unable to get unemployment. So there's so many moving parts to this. And the reality is we just have a lot of people that are in need. And one of the critical needs, resources that they need the most is food. Mm. Sadrina, what do you make of that number? Thirty million people. Yeah, yeah. That's that. Like Jasper said, that's that's very um, just scary and unsettling. Um, I definitely am talking to a lot of small business owners that are having the challenge um, of of even accessing unemployment benefits. And you know, currently with the the mandate in Georgia, a lot of them are being told that they need to open their businesses, even though it's not safe, you know, as a way of, um, you know, reboosting the economy. Um, they feel it's not safe, I should say. And so it's, it, you know, folks are in a really, really bad position in our state right now, um, because, um, you know, rather they're able to access unemployment benefits or not, you know, the, the, the outlook is really scary. Hmm. Will Sellers, your take when you hear this 30 million people number have filed for unemployment over the last six weeks? Absolutely, Rose, and thank you so much for having Wholesome Wave Georgia uh, on. Um, a, a couple of metrics just to kind of frame it for Georgia. The 30 million is a national number, but for Georgia, um, restaurants were on track to do $25 billion in revenue before the global pandemic. So definitely a robust part of our economy. And then as of the last report from the Georgia Department of Labor, over 860,000 Georgians filed for unemployment benefits. So that just kind of localizes it here in our state. And at Wholesome Wave Georgia, we're statewide. In addition to providing uh, support for folks to receive what we used to call food stamps, mm -hmm. so they can access 63 local farmers markets around the state, we also have the ability to screen 
enroll and renew folks in what we used to call food stamps, what we now call SNAP benefits. So one of the things that we've done is recognize that this is something none of us have seen before, to Sadrina's point. So we partnered with the Georgia Restaurant Association and then also the Georgia Hotel and Lodging Association because we know that our hospitality workers, very similar to what Jasmine mentioned, they've taken the pandemic the hardest mm -hmm. out of everyone in our state. So for our ability to screen folks for SNAP benefits, enroll folks in SNAP benefits, and then also renew people in SNAP benefits as well, Rose. And we do that free of charge, free of charge to Georgians, free of charge to organizations. And that's one way we're helping during this unprecedented time. And we're going to get back to that in just a second, but I want to bring in Lauren Cox. I want to get your reflection on that number, 30 million people filing for unemployment over the last six weeks. Um, yeah, Rose, I think that um, something that's happened is there's been a lot of um, misinformation, a lack of information, and a lack of access to information about um, the programs and things that people who have found themselves in um, not only uh, financial insecurity, food insecurity, um, health um, and wellness insecurity, there's just been a lot of um, lack of information out there of how to get access to these programs. Um, it's a huge number, and I think that people don't really know. I mean, there's a mourning right now, and people don't really know how to act. I think that, um, you know, a lot of the restaurant people that I've been working with don't know whether to open their restaurants back up and um, give their employees jobs or if that's risking their health and their ability to get unemployment. Um, and as far as the, the farmers go, you know, I think the farmers are trying to understand um, how to access these people in their markets as markets are closing down, like you mentioned before. Um, but also, you know, a lot of these farms sell to restaurants and so they're losing huge income revenue streams. And they're, so they're trying to pivot their businesses right now. I think that the effects of this are going to be um, way longer term than after we reopen. Well, let's stick with that theme for a moment, because, Lauren, if you're talking about we're going to see the effects of this for a long time, then here's the question. Then what needs to happen now if there's a holistic approach? Because often I've heard all of you say this before, those who've been on the program, if there's this holistic approach to dealing with this food insecurity right now, what can be done right now to lessen the severe consequences once we get through this? And Lauren, I'll let you take that. Okay. Well, one of the things that we've done right now to kind of lessen the, uh, the burden and the weight of um, food insecurity with specifically the restaurant and hospitality group is we started this really cool program called Food Fight Georgia that essentially gives um, boxes of vegetables to these unemployed industry workers every week. Mm -hmm. um, we hope that this program will last. We've gone four weeks so far and we're looking to get funding and we have gotten funding to extend this program out to other restaurants. Um, and we're hoping that this will go past when restaurants reopen. Um, and so it's thinking about it that way, this long-term folding over on itself effect. Um, I, I think we're also looking at ways to um you know get farmers 
through uh, onto these platforms where they can access people easier. Mm -hmm. um, I do think there is inequality in that too, looking at people who have access to the internet. So I think it's, I'd be interested to hear, you know, from uh, Jasmine at Gooder to see how like you're accessing people without lack of internet. Um, yeah, there's so much stuff that is happening right now. I think it's keeping it, understanding how to keep these programs going, you know, after this, um, especially with disaster relief, um, with the USDA is offering disaster relief for farmers, mm -hmm. these PPP loans. Let's go to Jasmine Crow uh, with your organization. Before I let you answer that question for folks that may not be familiar with Gooder, we're familiar with Gooder because we met you, what, a couple of years ago now, I think. But yeah. tell our listeners the your vision behind Gooder and what you all have been doing during this pandemic. Yeah, thanks for that, Rose. I mean, I, I have a funny story to tell you about how Gooder ended up getting a contract with Netflix because of me being on your show years ago. I'm in a producer listening in. So, I mean, you know, I owe you a lot. Um, so Gooder. Now, I, wait I a minute. You've never yeah. told me that. I know. I really, I thought about that this morning that I, I was like, you know, the producer of a little show called Ozark reached out to me and said he heard me on your show and, and, and invited me to set and said, hey, we've got all this food that goes to waste. And they became our first film and TV set in Atlanta um, and helped us get many more. So that came directly from A Closer Look. So I'll just, I'll never forget that. Well, congratulations uh, on that too. Thank you. Thank you so much. So yeah, I mean, we got started in 2017 after I was working really on the streets, feeding people that were experiencing homelessness and hunger, um, mostly in senior homes, feeding in senior homes and then on the streets. And someone asked me on social media, you know, which restaurants donate the food and nobody, I was cooking everything. And it made me think like, wow, if I could get this food donated, imagine how many more people I could feed. And that's when I started looking into food waste and just was really blown away by how much food goes to waste. And I'm sure we'll talk about that now. Mm -hmm. We've seen all the stories of piles of food that is just going to waste and then lines of cars of people that need food. So I always knew that there was a huge disconnection and that hunger was not about scarcity, which is always what I felt like I was told, like, you know, we need to produce more food. We need to grow more food. And it was more about how do we get all this food that's being grown, that's going to waste to people in need. And so that was really the impetus behind Gooder and what we've been doing now is kind of a slight pivot on that model where we're not really getting excess food from businesses because so many of them have closed, mm -hmm. but we're actually getting food from distributors and getting it now directly into the homes and hands of families in need during this pandemic. I want to throw this question out to all of you for a second, and Will, I'll begin with you, because I, we're seeing these reports of farmers who have taken to social media to say, look, look at all of this excess product I have I think I saw a farmer with just a field of onions and he said look restaurants aren't open so I can't get they're not buying any of this and we keep seeing this more and more throughout throughout the nation what do you all make of this that there is this excess of food that's just being left to rot will yeah and I know that Lauren and Sadrina will have um you know finer points on this but our information comes from the 63 partner markets and farms we work with around the state who tend to be our small independent farmers. And in the small independent farming community rows, they're able to meet this awesome demand that has come about because we, all of us who shop at large retailers and 
my family and I do as well, um, you know, we are unable to get some of the things that we're accustomed to buying. Mm -hmm. So what's ended up happening is that we've reached this inflection point where our community farmers markets, uh, our farm stands around the state are being discovered by a whole new class of folks who want to shop and they're having a chance to meet their farmer and know where their food comes from. That's that's number one. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, when we look at the disruption in the large scale of our food supply chain, that shows to Jasmine's point, an inefficiency in the market that is not being borne out when things have to travel hundreds of miles to make it to your neighborhood Walmart, your neighborhood Publix, your neighborhood Kroger. What we're seeing is a resurgence among farmers who are growing on about five to six acres, uh, growing in community, already donating a lot of their food, uh, but they've been impacted to Lauren's point, because one of their main revenue streams is restaurants. Mm -hmm. And so since restaurants have been closed, they've had to pivot, they've had to diversify and look at alternative means to make up that shortfall in revenue. So it's an exciting time for our small independent farmers, but they are feeling the stress of the pandemic, just like every sector, every organization, every individual in our state and around the country. So, Drina, let me bring you into the conversation because Will's talking about this food supply chain and we're hearing that there's this disconnect. How do we ensure that we can get those products from the fields to these organizations or to people who really need them? We understand the plight because that's a revenue stream, but as opposed to letting some of these fruits and vegetables just rot in the field, it seems like there's a, a disconnect that there's something that could be connecting all this together when we hear that people are hungry and they need food. So I, I definitely um, agree with Will that, um, you know, we see farmers and, um, and farmers markets doing what they have been doing all along and pivoting um, similarly to Jasmine slightly to response to this current crisis. Um, we have an opportunity, I think, to support these efforts, this innovation that we that we see um, in communities, which is oftentimes hyper local. Um, we at the Center for Civic Innovation have supported um, several growers in developing ways um, solutions um, to food distribution, food access issues in their communities, um, including Jasmine. She is a 2018 Food Innovation I mean, fellow for the Center for Civic Innovation. Mm -hmm. And um, and it's it's been a um, an interesting response um, all the way from we see organizations like Truly Living Well um, that's partnered with Patchwork Farms to um, to offer CSAs into the community. I think what's needed now um, is funding to support um, the work that's being done at the local level, mm -hmm. um, the solutions that are being generated, um, the ways that that folks can directly connect with their farmers markets um, and do so in a safe way. Um, I saw an article recently that, um, that, that really kind of highlighted the fact that given some of the, the, the mandates, the shelter in place, a farmer's market is one of the safest ways that you can obtain food, period. Um, but certainly fresh food, mm -hmm. locally grown food um, under these conditions. And we do see farmer's markets um, creating barriers um, to create safe safe shopping experiences and again we see farmers creating um, opportunities for 
families to not only shop at um, directly at their farm or at a farm stand with them, but to do so on a sliding scale to Will's point um, to be able to make sure that we are um, offering the food to families of, um, with, with various levels of, of income during this time. And Sadrina, I want to stay with you for a moment because folks listening may not be aware, and to your knowledge, and if you can verify or clarify this, are many of Georgia's farmers' markets, are they open to your knowledge? And if people need want to find out if a farmer's market or a stand will open, how can they get that information? Sure. So there are several markets that are open um, in the metro Atlanta area. Um, if they go to the Georgia Farmers Market website, which is mygeorgiamarket.org, um, we do have a list of um, several of the markets um, in the state um, and specifically in the metro Atlanta area. And they can find the contact information um, about that market and um, reach out to them directly. Um, but most of the markets have um, kind of shifted to either a drive-through method or, mm-hmm. like I said, they have some type of um, barrier between, uh, like a rope between the shopper, the consumer, and um, the farmer. Um, they're, you know, wearing masks and gloves. Um, they're kind of um, minimizing the number of folks that can walk through the market. But because the markets are open air, um, there's, of course, um, more opportunity for social distancing Mm -hmm. and safe shopping. Uh, But yes, we do have several markets that are open um, during the season. Some of them are just opening now because it's, um, it's right about the time that we would normally be having our seasonal markets. The voice you hear is Sadrina Jalal. She's a senior director of programs and partnerships at the Center for Civic Innovation, also forming founder, executive director, and current board member at the Georgia Farmers Market Association. We're also joined by Will Sellers, executive director of Wholesome Wave Georgia, Lauren Cox of Georgia Organics, and Jasmine Crow, founder and CEO of Gooder. Let's talk uh, about, for a moment, collaboration. And I mentioned earlier in a question this holistic approach do you all work with each other and have you been working with each other during this pandemic? Um, Rose, I'd love to answer that question. Um, Will actually um, got on a call with um, another part, another colleague of mine that's helping me do this, uh, these veggie boxes for these front of house restaurants. And we actually ended up putting information in the boxes yesterday that went out to 140 people about how they can sign up for SNAP and EBT Mm -hmm. uh, benefits. Um, So we're working with them. And I also wanted to give a shout out to um, this new partnership that Georgia Organics has with Wholesome Way of Georgia, Foodwell Alliance, Community Farmers Markets, um, Global Growers, Common Market, which is a a local aggregator, um, and the Atlanta Farmers Coalition are all working together Mm -hmm. uh, to raise funds for farmers. It's called the Farmer Fund, and you can go to the Georgia Organics website to check it out. But primarily, the money um, raised from this fund is going to disaster relief for farmers. It's also giving subsidies for online sales platforms, Mm -hmm. signups, and it's helping to to just relieve some of this uh, stress from from the Mm -hmm. current pandemic. But it's a huge partnership. Um, We're really 
happy to to be on board with all these awesome organizations. And Jasmine, I know because every time I look up, you all have been partnering and helping so many communities, whether it's the Atlanta Public Schools, uh, I think senior communities as well. You partnerships is what makes is a big part of what you all have been doing. Absolutely. I think, you know, the very first partnership we had in place was with Atlanta Public Schools. And what many don't know is we were already working with them about summer food distribution. How can we make sure that more kids get food during the summer? And so that's how we already had an MOU in place with APS. And then when this happened, it was just kind of like, okay, we've got to move this up two months because Mm -hmm. now students are out of school today. Um, And so we really turned on that partnership with APS in a matter of like hours. I mean, we it was like Friday morning, March 13th, we didn't have it together. Um, and then, you know, by that afternoon, we knew on Monday, we were gonna be helping APS distribute extra meals to the students. So there have been critical partners that have worked with us. Um, and I think that's one thing I would say to Lauren's point, I think one thing I've noticed is that the work is gonna need, be needed, I think far past COVID-19. And I also would say that I think a lot of the work, especially that we're doing with City of Atlanta and Fulton County for senior citizens has always been needed. I mean, we can't, I can't tell you how many seniors we're delivering food to that are like, oh, this is the best food I've ever had in my whole life. Or I haven't been able to cook myself a good meal in two weeks. And I made myself a stew with those carrots and that chicken broth you guys gave me and in mm. that ground turkey and I ate off of that for three days and just hearing those stories from our seniors, it really is puzzling to me like why haven't we been doing this longer, mm-hmm. um, you know, long ago, because seniors, they're not only typically in need, many of them are living off of SSI. They have a very limited income. And so even when they do get to the grocery stores, the amount of food that they're able to buy and what they're typically purchasing is very minimal. And so now really being able to give them um, that that amount of food that they really need. I mean, we heard from a lady who is um, a diabetic and her, her blood sugar was off because she didn't have enough food to actually continue to, to eat and make her sugar levels well. And now she's been telling us how her ankles have went down from being so swollen. And it's just that level of like, wow, so many people are needed this. Mm-hmm. So Lauren, absolutely. How do these programs continue after this? And who are going to be those partners that step up and say, this is something that I'm going to have continue even after COVID-19 and the pandemic is over. But what I know for sure, and Bill Gates said this a few weeks ago, we may be looking at a couple of years to recover from this. So even if things open up tomorrow, I mean, we are still looking at a long time with almost 20% of people in this country seeking unemployment. I think we're going to be in a state of pandemic in a sense. I mean, the world that we once knew will never be the same. And I don't know what that looks like. Will Sellers, have you all seen, and I imagine the answer to this is probably yes, you all have seen an increase in folks needing to navigate through the, the, the SNAP program, the, the assistance Absolutely. program? What's Absolutely. that been like? And we know, Rose, and I know everyone who lists this program and the folks I'm sure in the panel with today know this also. When our economy does well, you don't need programs like SNAP. But when our economy starts to take a downturn, uh, programs like SNAP become really important. And one of the things that we've really focused on, again, and, and Lauren, thanks a lot for the shout out. We're really proud to work with Georgia Organics, proud to work with uh, Community Farmers Markets. I'm a proud Food Well Alliance alum, so shout out to Kim and the team over there. 
um, we've really focused because our unique superpower is being able to register, enroll, and renew folks in SNAP benefits. So we have a team right now who you call them uh, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. They are there to help you. And that information is on our website. We circulated that information again across the business organizations like the Georgia Restaurant Association, Georgia Hotel and Lodging Association, our friends at Georgia Organics, and anyone who can kind of put folks in need so that we can help our neighbors. Um, something that Jasmine said really resonated strongly with me is that we are now in a whole new world. This recovery will be a long one. And because it will be a longer recovery for innovative, strong nonprofits, and again, shouts out to the work that uh, Rowett and Sadrina are doing over mm -hmm. at the Center for Civic Innovation, we've got to think differently about with whom we partner to have to meet this great need. So one of the things that we've started doing is working, again, with our neighbors. Uh, we're based right off of Cleveland Avenue. So we're really close to Hateful. We're really close to the city of College Park, and we're really close to the city of East Point. We're right outside the city of East Point, but we, our office is in Atlanta, Rose. And one of the things that we've done, just because of our heritage coming out of a larger organization, Wholesome Wave National, is we were able to secure uh, $25 Walmart gift cards. Mm -hmm. And for an organization like ours, who thinks very strongly about local who supports our local farmers, we also know that the need for Georgians is extremely great. So tomorrow, from the hours of 1 to 3 p.m., we're partnering on a large scale with the city of East Point to distribute 500 Walmart produce gift cards. And They're tomorrow, $25 each. Tomorrow yes, being Friday at the time of this tomorrow broadcast. Being Friday. Right, right. And the mayor and the council in East Point have been amazing to work with. Uh, they've really stepped up to share this information. We're going to distribute it across the city at churches located across East Point. And so we'll be giving out 500 Walmart produce gift cards to Jasmine's Point because we've never seen anything like the times we're in now. And because of that, organizations like ours, Wholesome Wave Georgia, we've begun to think about how can we put food into the hands of as many people as possible. We have a bias towards local. We support our small independent farmers. Since we were founded, we've been able to contribute $3.1 million back into our small independent farming economy here in the state of Georgia. But this is a little different. Mm -hmm. And because the scope and scale of the recovery will be long, and because the pain of what Georgians are feeling right now is so acute, we are working with East Point. We've already distributed 200 cards in the city of Hateful, and we'll also be distributing cards in the city of College Park because we understand the pain that average hardworking Georgians are experiencing through no fault of their own. Mm. And this is a small way that we can lend a hand to help our neighbors. I want to I love that, oh, go ahead, so Jasmine. Great. I was just telling Will, I love that. I'm super excited. And I'm going to probably reach out to some people in College Park. I know the mayor there well and make sure she's aware of what you guys are doing. That's amazing. Sadrina? Oh, I'm sorry. I was just gonna just going to just mention that with the Center for Civic Innovation, we really believe that the solutions to this issue lie in the hands of the grassroots organizers um, that have been doing this work all along. And um, our immediate response to um, this pandemic was to um, to allocate some of our own budget to and, and put that directly in the hands of those leaders. So we were able to distribute. 
$500 um, just grant um, almost instantaneously mm. to help them continue their efforts. So organizations like Gooder um, and, um, you know, just other smaller um, community-based efforts, we were able to kind of give them an infusion to keep going um, to um, to support, you know, the work that they're doing. So we, we definitely, we've continued that fund and um, there's an opportunity for people to, to get engaged in the work um, that a lot of these leaders are doing through um, contributing and um, engaging in their, in their activities. And Sadrina, let me stay with you because as we wrap up, I want to get your reflection on this, something that I read the other night. And it talked about what's the moral responsibility to dealing with this pandemic as relates to not only poor people, but to anyone who needs assistance. And when you think about that question, what is the moral responsibility that we all have in this? What's your answer to that, Sadrina? I think the moral responsibility or the opportunity here really is to understand that, you know, the world is much bigger than our bubble, you know, and, um, and I think this one of the benefits um, that can come out of this experience for all of us is to realize that, you know, the opportunity even to shelter in place is um, for many people, it's just not afforded to everyone. It's a luxury for for some of for some. So as we are, um, you know, maybe getting a little bit antsy about um, having to stay indoors and work from home, I think that morally we need to consider the the plight of those who are you know the essential workers that have to go out of their homes or those that you know as we started this show you know are either having challenges and accessing um, unemployment benefits or being encouraged to go back into the workforce um, I think that you know we need to those of us that are in better positions need to be um, advocates for for our community and um, for those frontline folks Lauren Cox, what's the moral responsibility here? Um, Wow. Well, personally, I think that the moral responsibility that I've I've witnessed and experienced within myself is to really take a hard look at the inequities built into our systems um, and trying to address that with specifically access to food. So, um, you know, understanding that this this economy is built on the fragility of of having movement, of having um, you know disposable income, and um, and looking at trying to support and buoy you know our neighbors and the people that we receive services from during this time that are that are part of our community. Um, for me, that's just been so striking, um, specifically working with restaurants that tend to be farm to table um, and have higher higher check check amounts. You know, it's a little bit of a, a higher scale, um, I wouldn't say elitist, but by any means, but just something that's like you have to have excess income and then looking at other parts of that and seeing who are the people that work at those restaurants, like do they have mobility? what are all the different layers of this system um, and trying to address the inequity in that. Will Sellers, the more responsibility here. Yeah, I think it goes back to something very basic and very old. We have to make sure that we're helping our neighbors. 
And in helping our neighbors, we want to be available, even in the scope of this pandemic. And then we also want to do what a lot of the panelists have showed in different ways, and all far more, more well stated than me, but we want to be knowledgeable. We want to be knowledgeable of what unique ability we can offer to help. And we always want to be showing up in a way that is uh, really positioned in service. So whether you're a large government, whether you're you know, a large company, if you're doing the work that many of us do in the nonprofit space, how do we go to communities seeking answers from the community, not really saying, hey, we're here to help and this is what we have for you. I think that's really incumbent as we all try to better understand these complex issues, better understand how to be good partners and also better understand how to deliver what people really need in a timely manner. So knowledgeable, neighborly, and available. And Jasmine Crow, I'll give you the last word here, the moral responsibility. Man, this is amazing. Thanks again, Rose, for putting this together. Cedrine, I wanna definitely piggyback on what you said as well. I mean, we, we all have a moral responsibility to understand that even though we're quarantining and we're self, we're staying at home, for a lot of people, home is a very hard place to be right now. There are empty refrigerators. There are children who maybe home isn't a good place for them at all. And I think we all need to think about that. The other moral responsibility that I think people have to take on is understanding that the face of hunger has changed. I, you know, someone commented on LinkedIn on our drive-through, our grocery drive-through, questioning the need of the people because she thought that their cars were nice. And I had to explain to her, you know, you have doctors and nurses that were working in elective surgeries that are no longer working. Mm -hmm. The film and TV industry, which is a big part of the Georgia economy, where you have actresses and actors and people that were hair and makeup people that were making a very decent living are now out of work. And so it's on us to really embrace our neighbors, as Will said, and understand that the face of hunger that we once knew has now changed. And so we've got to be understanding to everybody's plight right now and be willing to help as much as we can. A conversation that demands action. Jasmine Crow, founder and CEO of Gooder. Sadrina Jalal, Senior Director of Programs and Partnerships at the Center for Civic Innovation. And also the founding executive director and current board member at the Georgia Farmers Market Association, Lauren Cox of Georgia Organics, the organic procurement coordinator and manager of the farm to restaurant program, and Will Sellers, executive director of Wholesome Wave Georgia. Thank you all for being a part of this very important conversation. Thank you all for what you're continuing to do in the community during this time. Stay safe. Thank you, Rose. Thanks, Rose. Thanks, Rose. That's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Shelly Canavy. If you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 8 p.m. And listen whenever you want, because Closer Look is now available as a podcast. Just visit NPR One or your favorite streaming app and subscribe. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.
The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on the ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.